Jesus, how we need your grace this morning. As we look at your holy scriptures, there were many people who came to your feet because they knew they needed grace from you, and there was no other name by which we could get that. They came trembling. They came humbly. They came knowing and confessing their own brokenness and their own hurts and their own loss. And some even broke alabaster jars of expensive ointment to pour at your feet because they knew you are the Holy One. And this morning, Father, we come to the feet of Jesus to worship him in spirit and in truth. We come trembling because we know who we are. But we come with great joy because we know who you are. And we pray this together in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to worship the Lord this morning uh, with the elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. And if you would like to participate in that part of our worship today and did not receive the elements, the ushers will be coming around uh, with them. Would you just uh, raise your hands slightly so they can see you if you would like to worship with the elements? And the ushers will come up the aisles and, and bring those to you. Um, you do not need to belong to this uh, church uh, to participate in this part of the worship. Uh, the Holy Scripture, of course, uh, bids that we know and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we're walking in a personal relationship with him. And so all who uh, humbly confess Christ as Lord and Savior, you're welcome to come to the table this day and to share in those elements. This is one of the greatest gospel pictures as we continue in our worship this morning, to have this simple piece of bread, which stays a piece of bread, to have this simple cup of juice, which stays a simple cup of juice. It's the greatest gospel picture you're holding in your hands, because in, in just a few moments, you're going to handle grace, and you're going to taste grace, and that's what we've come for, to be at the feet of Jesus and to have our entire lives exposed before him, for he knows who we are. And he bids us all the same to come to him and to find grace and to find mercy in our time of need. This is a wonderful and a joyous time. And as we do this together here, it's, it's not inappropriate for you to look around to see the people who are in your row who will be handling this picture of grace and who will be tasting this picture of grace. It's not inappropriate. It's okay for you to look around because we're confessing Jesus Christ together in unity today with this part of worship. We're saying, Jesus, we know you are real. We know you are here. We know you are present. We know you are the Holy Son of God. We know that you came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. We are confessing together. So as you see another brother or sister taking that piece of bread, there is a unity of the body of Christ in worship 
and we're proclaiming the gospel in one of its simplest and purest ways, that Jesus, you came to die for me. You came to love me with a love that cannot be found anywhere else in this world. You came to rescue me. You came to deliver me. You came to break bonds and to break chains of sin that have enslaved some of us for far too long. This is the day when grace transforms weary sinners. And it comes because we have come to Jesus Christ, our Savior and our brother and our Lord. We also confess, and we're going, I'm going to invite you right now just in a quiet uh, moment of reflection and repentance. We also confess that, yes, our sin and our brokenness is real. Some of us don't hide it very well, do we? It's known. And we don't take this grace cheaply or lightly. We take it with a reverence and with an awe because the price that Christ paid for my sin cannot be paid by you, by me, or by anyone else in this universe. So let's now in the quietness of our hearts go to the cross of Jesus Christ and confess our sins and say, Jesus, today, please grant me grace to be done. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, 
tis now. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, and therefore you are feared. And so come, trembling sinners and saints, to the table. On that same night on which Christ was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And on that same night, he took a cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this cup, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of all of your sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And let's take the cup together. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the gospel, the Lord's death, until he comes again. And, oh, precious Jesus, thank you for dying and living grace. Thank you this day that we might approach you and that we might look you in the eyes and see an everlasting love that will not let us go. And so we rejoice in this time of worship and we give you the glory because it's all of you. It is your life and your death and your resurrection and your perfection granted freely and given to us. And we praise you for that. So, oh God, continue to receive our praise and our worship this morning in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are in the book of Galatians. We are, I, I, jokingly said galloping through Galatians. We're galloping through Galatians, but the real title is the man, the message, and the manner. The man is the Apostle Paul, and in chapters 1 and 2, it focuses in on him. And chapters 3 and 4, it's on the message, on the gospel. And then on chapters 5 and 6, it's on the manner, the manner of life. And as it's been said, Paul has a soapbox that he's standing on, and that soapbox is Christ alone. Oh, one more time. Christ alone. That's what we need to remember about the book of Galatians. It's all about Christ alone. And this morning, um, it's almost like he's saying, let's look at it this way, because you always have to remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to these Christians that are in the area of Galatia. These churches are new churches, and most likely these Christians are new Christians. They haven't been long in the faith. And most of them are Gentiles. And so he says, let's look at it this way that, so that you would have assurance that your salvation 
is true. It is true. So here's a series of arguments that's given. And I I pulled this from Warren Wiersbe. When he looked at this, he he says, you know, we're going to take a deep dive into the gospel. And he says, I see six different arguments that Paul gives here. Six different ways, he says, that you can look at this and have assurance of your salvation. The first one that we'll cover today is the personal argument. The personal argument. Let's look at yourself. The second one is the scriptural argument. Let's look at the scriptures, what the scriptures say. Those two we'll go through today. The third one is the logical argument. Now, I like that one because I'm logical. I like, you know, A, B, C, D. That's what I like to do kind of thing. The fourth one is the historical argument. You'll look at history. The fifth one is the sentimental argument. So playing on your heartstrings a little bit there. And then the last one is the allegorical argument. The allegory, you'll use a picture for you to be able to understand this. So by the time that Paul gets done going over chapters three and four, you'll go, okay, I got it. I got it. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a lawyer and, and he just wants to lay it out so that those Galatian or those Gentile Galatian Christians will understand that, yes, your salvation is true and it's on Christ alone. So let's go to verse one. We're in chapter three when he says, you foolish Galatians, you foolish Galatians. Now, we're not supposed to say you fool. Uh, that the word that where it says that in the Gospels is raka, and that is true, but this word is not that same word. It, this word means uh, not understanding. So you could say, you not understanding Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Who, and this takes you back to chapter 1, verse 7, when he says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So who are these people who are trying to pervert this gospel of Christ? And then he says the statement, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He brings out this historical fact about Jesus. Now, were they all at the foot of the cross and saw Jesus crucified? No, but it was clearly understood. It was a historical fact that they hung Jesus on a tree and they crucified him. And so he starts off that way with the Galatians. He says, I want you to, under, you, you, it's clearly understood, right? He died on a tree. And everybody would shake their heads and go, yes, that's a clearly historical fact that is there. Verse 2, he says to them, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Just one thing. Just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Which is it? By observing the law or by believing what you heard? Simple answer. How many of you have watched congressional hearings? Have you ever watched those? Yeah, only a little bits of them. Yeah, because there'll be people here and people there, and they're asking questions of the people that are there, and they'll say, it's just a yes or no answer. And every time they ask the question, the person, and they'll say, it's yes or no. And then they'll, yes or no. And they'll never get a yes or no. Well, that's kind of like what Peter's doing here. It's just one thing I want to know. Was it by observing the law or was it by believing what you heard? Now, what's interesting in these first five verses here, he asks six questions. And when we get to the next section, 
he'll give six verses, six scriptural verses. That's just a side note. That's for any word game you have. So he says, are you so foolish? Verse three, are you so foolish? Um, trying to attain the, uh, are, after beginning with the spirit, you are now trying to attain your goal by human efforts. Are you so un, un, not understanding? And I put down there, have you walked across the platform? If you were here last Sunday, we had a group of people over here, Jews and Gentile Christians alike. And Peter was in the group. And Peter was in this group worshiping with them, living with them, being discipled with them. And then there was another group over on this side of the platform that came from Jerusalem that were the Jewish Christians. And when they came, Peter looks across to them and it says he was afraid of what they might think. And so he left this group and he went over to this group because he thought this was the better group or the group he was supposed to be in. And because of that move, the other Jewish Christians that were in that group came over here, and even our friend Barnabas came over here. And we saw the division that was between the two. What Peter was doing was over here, he was holding on to the grace of God. This is all by the grace of God. But when he moved over to the other side, to the, he's saying, no, there's something else I need to do to attain my salvation or keep my salvation. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Galatians. He says, are you so foolish after beginning in the spirit? You are now trying to attain your goal by human efforts. You've left the grace of God and you've went back to the works of man. Verse 4, have you suffered so much, so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Now, some people, when they turned to Christ, it brought on persecution. It brought on suffering. Um, and it still does today, some situations where you might become a follower of Jesus Christ, and you might be the only one in your family. And there might be some suffering or persecution or joking or 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 stand off a little bit now because you're a holy roller you know you're one of those you're a goody two-shoe you're you know you're better than us you know kind of thing and you might get a little bit of that well they really got it in that day is if they would walked away from their many gods to a one god that was quite a feat that was happening there but also that word persecution sometimes means open to know or also means experience so you could read it this way have you experienced so much for nothing? Have you experienced so much of the love of God and the, and the forgiveness of your sins for nothing? If it really was for nothing? It kind of goes back to the last verse in chapter 2. I do not set aside the grace of God, which is everything. For if, righteous, if, if, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He's basically saying the same thing. If I could do it on my own, then what Jesus did on the cross was for absolutely nothing. Verse, verse 4, verse 5. Now he's going to ask the question again like he did in verse 2, just a different slant. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believed on what you heard? 
Which is it? Which is it? Does God give you the Spirit? So here he is saying, take a look at yourself personally. This is the personal argument. Take a look at yourself and say, did you receive the grace of God by observing the law or was it by Christ alone? And, and you would have to say, it's no, no, Paul, it's by Christ alone. Because he gave us the gospel. Woo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gave us the gospel back in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Now let me read this to you. That got your attention. Okay, we're right there. Read it to you this way. What is the gospel? It's the grace and peace to you um, from who? From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. How was it given? Who gave himself for our sins. Why was it given? To rescue us from this present evil age. That's where we are right now. According And, and when was it given? according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Now he goes from the personal argument to the scriptural argument. And he takes us to his friend Abraham. Verse 6, consider Abraham. Now, he's talking about the law here. Many times when you talk about the law, you think of Moses, right? Moses and the law, Ten Commandments. Moses and the law. But what Paul does here, he says, consider Abraham prior to Moses. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The focus is not on Moses, but on Abraham. And I want to take you to one of these verses. is in Genesis chapter 15, where he is quoting, because he'll quote six different times, Genesis chapter 15 and verses 1 through 6. We get this story. And at this time, Abraham is Abram. He hasn't, his name hasn't been changed yet. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children so a servant in my household will be my heir. I'll stop right there. So he was told that he was going to be a great nation, the father of a great nation. Well, how can you be a father of a great nation if you don't have any children? And it looks like at this point that all everything that I have, because I have no children in their day, would go to his right-hand man. Uh, and that's Eleazar of Damascus. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man, meaning Eleazar, will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God says, look up into the sky. Can you count all those stars? Your offspring is going to be like that. Now the next verse, verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. He believed the Lord. He didn't believe what he believed. He didn't believe in going like, I don't see how this is going to work. No, it looks like to me that my right-hand man is going to get everything that's here. I don't see. But when God spoke and God said it is going to happen, Abram believed 
the Lord. And it was credited to him as righteous by righteousness as righteousness. So here's the focus here is not on Moses, but on Abraham and Abraham's belief, faith in God. Now I put up there 14 years and 430 years prior. This is 14 years prior to circumcision. So what they were saying, well, no, you need to be circumcised to be saved. He's, no, this faith came 14 years prior to when God said to Abraham, um, be circumcised in your, and the males and in the Israelites, be circumcised. That is this 14 years before that and 430 years prior to the law actually being written down. So what came first, the law or faith? He's saying faith came first. Okay, verse 7. Verse 7 says, understand then. And that's interesting because he's, he said, don't be foolish. Go, don't be foolish, but understanding. He says, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. So he makes no distinction between Jew or Gentile. He says, all who believe as Abraham believed are children of Abraham. Verse 8, the scripture foresaw God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. What Paul is doing here is he's taking them back to the Old Testament, and he's an Old Testament scholar. He knows the Old Testament, and he's saying, my eyes have been opened, and I see the gospel in the Old Testament. And I see how God made provision for all people to know who he is. And so I'll take you back to that one, and that's Genesis chapter 12, when it's the call of Abram. It says, Lord said to Abram, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to a land I will show you. I will make you a, into a great nation. So there will be a great nation, singular, that will come from Abram. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and I will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So there will be those who God will bless, and those that God will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So there will be other nations that will be blessed by God because they are following the God of Abraham. So he's, what he's saying to the Galatians, you're in that group. You're part of that group that's there, that is being blessed because you also uh, have faith in the God of Abraham. Verse 9, he says, So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And again, as I said, this faith is prior to circumcision. It's prior to the law that's given. Verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. He's taking that from Deuteronomy 27.6. We have a curse that's upon us of the law. Because if we are to, we have to keep every part of the law. We cannot vary on any part of it if 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 that is so in john chapter 2 verse 10 a lot of you will remember this verse james james 2 10 
For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So we have this curse that is upon us because of the law. Uh-oh, what are we going to do? And this is where Paul takes us back to the gospel again. Verse 11, he says, Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. So he answers his questions in verse 2 and verse 5. He says, Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. No way. There is no one perfect. There is no one who can keep the law perfectly. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. That's, um, wrong way, habit, no, one more. Leviticus 8.5. The law, it's not based on faith, it's based on obedience. And that's the passage of scripture he's using. He's saying there's a whole bunch of laws. And the one that lives by them is, is obeying those laws. The law's place in our lives is not to save us. The law's place in our lives is to point us to the sinless one. It's to point us to the Savior because we are under a curse. Who can lift this curse from us? Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Where is he taken back to? Crucifixion. Takes him back to verse 1. He says, remember, it's clearly a historical fact that Jesus died on a tree. That Jesus was crucified. And now he gets to this point and he says, okay, since you know that, Historically, that is so. He went to that tree to release you from the curse of the law. He went there to become the curse for you. That's why he went there. And then verse 14. Well, I put down there, because we studied through 1 Peter. So always got to keep going back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Actually, starting in verse 23. Just listen to these words. When they hurled their insults at him, Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, God, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Verse 14, last verse here. He wraps up this section with, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He's answering his question again. Did you get it? by doing observing works or did you get it by faith which one is it and now he's went through six different verses to say no the scriptures say you got your salvation by faith and not by not by works so he received the spirit by faith in the one who gave himself for us and this is a reoccurring thing back in verse chapter 1 verse 4 
who gave himself for our sins. Chapter 2, verse 20, when Paul makes that big declarative Satan, I have statement, I have crucified with Christ, as I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then now, chapter 3, verse 13, when it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatian Christians, I want you, Galatian Gentile Christians, I want you to be assured of your faith because in the scriptures, it shows that those who believe, those who believe like Abraham are saved. There's nothing else that's needed. Now, why is this so important? Let me end with this. Why is this so important? Because he's going to say this over and over again. Okay, just get prepared. He's going to say this over and over again. Why is this so important? With two, two key words. Uh, the gospel needs to be proclaimed and the gospel needs to be preserved. Those two words. It needs to be proclaimed and preserved. It needs to be proclaimed. We are the proclaimers of the gospel, of the true gospel. We are the ones who are the ones that say that. As Pastor Robert said so eloquently this morning in the taking of communion, we are the proclaimers that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so we proclaim that, and we pray that there are people that will hear the gospel for the very first time. Their eyes are open. Their ears are open. They hear that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They may have heard it millions of times, but this one time, they realize it's for them, that he, that he broke the curse, that I have faith in who he is. And so we're proclaimers of that every time with our lives, and especially every Sunday that we come together, we, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also preserve it. And so this is where it's needed to be heard by Christians over and over and over and over again, because we tend to wander. We tend to do just like what Peter did. We're over here, yes, we love, yes, we, Jesus, yes, we do, yes, we love Jesus, how about you? We, we get, we're all excited about but we're prone to wander at times that we wander over on this side of the stage and, and, and we work, go back into the things I have to do so that God is happy with me. Or a way to get into heaven, there's still, there's, I got to work my way in. And so we have to, or we'll impose those works onto other people. And so we have to be told the gospel over and over again, preserve it in our lives. That no, we are saved by grace through faith. That is how we are saved. The law is great. It's there to obey, and it guides us, but it does not save us. It does not save us. Couldn't help but think, and Aaron, you can come on forward. Um, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. See, Christ alone, right? I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Don't be bewitched. Don't be bewitched. Don't, be, don't let someone lead you down this trying to pervert the gospel to be something else. I, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. 
All other ground is what? Sinking sand. Hold on to that. Well, we can, all other ground is sinking sand. Okay, so when Peter was over here, he was on the solid rock. We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? When he moved across the stage over to this group, because out of fear, he's in the sinking sand. He's in the sinking sand. Now that should make another picture of when Peter and the disciples are on the boat and Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter's the brave one. Peter's like, if it's you, tell me, come out there. And Jesus, come on, come on, come on. And, Jesus, and Peter, he's the only one. He gets out of the boat, walks on the water. Look at me, I'm walking on the water. You know, he's, and he's got his eyes on Jesus. But then what happens? Same thing happens. He, he looks around, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He looks around and he's fearful. And what happens? Sinking sand, sinking sand. And what's Jesus do? Boom. I, I think that's exactly what Paul was doing last week. When he watched Peter go from that side to that side, and he realized that Peter is sinking. Paul gets right into his face and says, Grab my hand. Don't fall for this, Peter. Grab my hand. I don't want you to sink in following something other than Jesus Christ alone. And so we need, as Christians, we need to hear that. Christ alone. One, two, three. Christ alone. Alone. Would you stand with us as we sing our final hymn?